Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, Merry Christmas to you. It's good to see you. This is the last one. I'm exhausted. We'll see what we can do. I'm sure you're exhausted too. Uh, but I'm excited about tonight. Um, our little uh, uh, Jason Green, little young theologian, read our text for tonight, Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet, and so hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before the Christmas that we celebrate today, Isaiah predicted it. Now, um, this is two verses, it's compact. I would say it's very dense, theologically weighty, this little prophetic package. And there's, so there's, there's a lot to it. I'm reading a few science books at the moment. Uh, you don't really read about physics much unless, I mean, without hearing about the Hadron Collider. You know what that is? That is the largest uh, particle accelerator that we have, Okay. Um, it sits in Geneva, Switzerland. This baby's designed to smash atoms and sort of help us with a look, look into the, the give, a, give us a window into uh, reality. That's what the hope, scientists hope. Um, what they'll do is they'll take an atom, take a particle of an atom, a little electron or something like that, and they'll speed it up to the speed of light and it will sort of collide with another one. And then there's, there's a big bang, and it gives off this radiation, and, and you can see pictures. Sometimes they have some pictures of what happens when they collide. And, of course, we all get it, take advantage of the things that they learn as a result of that because they're trying to figure out uh, the structure of matter and the forces that hold all things together, and they apply that stuff to medicine and technology and all these other kind of things. But um, it's a fascinating uh, thing. Uh, scientists compare it to if you took your big screen TV, the biggest TV you got, and you dropped it off the Empire State Building and it hit the ground and it landed in a million bazillion pieces and you looked at it, you would say, okay, these are all the pieces that make this up. That's what they're trying to do when they collide these particles. Um, It's kind of what I'd like to do to this little small prophetic text. Um, these very, I think we could do it with these two verses. Uh, and they'll actually provide, if we can look at them, if we can smash them, so to speak, if we can smash them, we can see the, the fundamental elements of Christmas, the fundamental elements of Christianity uh, right before our eyes. It's something beautiful, real, useful, uh, way beyond any scientific discovery. And it'll give us truth about God and it'll give us truth about us. And something else, uh, a window into eternity. Um, It was uh, Stephen Hawking, late sort of theoretical physicist, who said that uh, the closest thing to a time machine we have is one of these particle accelerators. Uh, And when we look at these texts, it it has a sort of, when 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 you break it down, it has an eternal picture to it. I want to show you this. I want you to see, first of all, Isaiah 9, 6, you got a child born, 
Okay, then you have a son given, and then you have a government's going to be on his shoulder. So in this one verse, you've got hardly uh, one, not even one sentence fully. And you've got a, a, a massive spectrum here. Let me draw it out for you. So let's put the child here. Child comes in history. That's Christmas. This is our historical moment. On the front side of that, you have a son given. We know that our scriptures teach this child was God was going to give this child to us in eternity past. It was always the plan. It was always the remedy. It was always needed. Okay? Uh, so this is that eternity. And then you have uh, that he's going to have a government upon his shoulders. He's going to rule. And he will rule all the way into eternity. Isaiah 9, 7 says it will, it will have no end. Time, space, matter, Nothing. There's, there's no constraints. Limitless rule into eternity. And so you can see this picture, which Christmas is sort of the pivotal event. So the birth of Christ becomes this transformative, uh, transformative of humans, co- the cosmos, we'll see. And, and it has an eternal extent. Christmas. What we're celebrating So, now the Old Testament prophet is looking toward this and he can see that whatever it is that the world needs, this is hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Isaiah knows that's going to be, he's predicting that, which means man is not going to come up with any other remedy than, than what God does at Christmas. As hard as we work, as much as we progress, we'll never figure out what really needs to be figured out. And so he can predict this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before and know that that's what we're going to need. Just like God determined it before time began. This is what we would need. So, when you break this down, if you're going to take one particle of this verse, because we could take take all the parts. I want to focus for a moment on just the idea of the son given. This gift. We're going to learn that it is a shocking gift. It is a surprising gift. It is a sacrificial gift. Uh, Because Christmas is about giving, we can relate to that concept. All of us probably in this room, all of us will probably get something we want. Probably. Um, I read a story this past week about two little boys who spend the night at grandma's house on Christmas Eve. And they go to bed. Grandma tucks them in. And she says, let's pray together. And so the little boy starts first. And when he starts to pray, he gets really loud. I want a bicycle, he screams. And then he screams, I want an Xbox. And then maybe a drone. Maybe I want a drone. And he's screaming. And the older brother just laying next to him whispers to him. You don't have to scream. God's not deaf. He can hear you. And the little boy says back to him, yeah, but grandma can't. (laughs) Very funny. Christmas. Uh, Here's the thing about this gift. Here's the thing about it. We weren't, we, we didn't want it. We were screaming for something, but that's not what it was. And so here's where the sort of the startling part of this whole Christmas thing. We were, we, we were yelling, but it wasn't for this gift. Now, you can't understand this little prophecy in Isaiah 9 unless you really understand chapter 7 and 8. 
of Isaiah. And I, and in order to understand how this is going to be the remedy for all mankind and forever, then you got to understand the background. I want you to see these two verses kind of as the diamond in a bigger ring. This is the diamond that stands out in a bigger ring, and you got to see the bigger ring in order to, for it to stand out the way it should. And here's what it is, and it's a description of all of us. The king of Israel, his name is Ahaz. He is a desperate man. He knows he's in trouble. He's fearing his enemies. Uh, and because he wants, to, he wants to be powerful and rule, rather than trust God, and God's trying to get his attention, he doesn't want God, so he decides to make an alliance with another evil nation, a nation that ultimately will be their downfall. They will turn on them, and and God's trying to tell them that's not the answer. But the problem is the kings, this king, which sort of pictures humanity. In other words, the, the context that brings this out is the same context that makes it come to fulfillment later on about human beings. We all want to rule ourselves. We want to be in control of our own lives. We want power. We think the problem is external and it's out there. And if I can just get something, it doesn't matter what it is, just get me something that makes me feel powerful and strong. And here's how this is. uh, I, I put it in here because I think it ought to be read because this is what it sounds like. This is what God is saying. Because this people refused the waters of Shiloh. This is a little stream. This is a, 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 look at, a gentle flowing little stream. Humble, nothing big about it. Instead, they want resin. That's the king on the other side. They want the big, they want the king. Uh, and the Lord is bringing up, look at, the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria, this king that they want, he's mighty. And look, and all this glory. And so, and so when King Ahaz looks at his life and he wants power and he wants control, all he can do is see this other king and go, I want what he has. I want that glory. And so he wants the rough, mighty rivers instead of the humble, gentle flowing. And look what happens. It's going to rise these channels. It's going to go over all its banks. It's going to be more than he can handle. It's going to sweep over Judah. It's going to overflow. It's going to, it's going to reach all the way to the neck. You're going to, it's going to feel like you're about to drown. It's going to overwhelm you. That pursuit of something external. Doesn't matter what it is. Just something external that gives me a sense of power. That's what he wants. Because he wants to be in charge of his life. That's what these kings wanted, and they represent humanity. Okay, so it's, it's, it's a picture of humanity, and this is God's answer to it. And here's, you say, God, how are you going to deal with man's search for glory, uh, um, put themselves first, they... They, they're arrogant, that war, this oppression, this desire for the big, mighty rivers. How are you going to solve the problem? Here's what God says. I'm going to send a child. I'm going to send a child. That's not what the kings were looking for. It's weak. It's weakness. God comes in weakness. He says, I'm not going to come the same way you would. 
This is how you approach your problems. You see them as external, and if you can get something powerful, it doesn't matter what it is. And we all think something out there will solve our problems. Could be anything. But as long as we get the self-glory and the self-governing, we feel like we can handle the thing. And listen, if the problem is external, then power is your answer. But here's what Christmas teaches us. Why we need a gift. Because the problem's internal. It's not external. It's not a big, mighty river of glory that's going to solve the problem. The problem's inside. And Isaiah is, is really hung up about the childish aspect of humankind's deliverance. Chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 11, he talks about a child. Why wouldn't he talk about a king if kings are in the process? And, um, and not only that, uh, but this child is going to run a government. He's going to lead. He doesn't bring up the king, and it's a slap in the face to the kings. I'm not going to send another king who just wants self-glory and, and wants to govern himself and wants to be powerful. That's part of the problem. That's what leads to the problems. And so God says, I'm going to come humbly. I'm going to come vulnerable. I'm going to come in weakness to solve the internal problem that man has, not the external. That's the idea in this text. So this gift is not what we were expected. We were screaming for something, but it wasn't this. Here comes a child in weakness. It begins in, with a child in weakness at Christmas, and it ends in weakness with Christ on a cross. Shocking and surprising. This is, this only, only this kind of a plan could a divine imagination, could God even conjure up no human's going to concoct this, let alone execute it, because we're all glory seekers. We want the mighty river. We don't want the small, gentle flowing. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Christ came. God said, I'm going to do the weak thing to confound the strong. I'm going to do the foolish thing to make the wise shake their heads. Why would he do that? Why would he do it that way? In fact, Paul's going to say, I'm going to do something their eyes have never seen, their ears have never heard, and their mind has never imagined. That's what Christmas is. So when you smash this truth open, and it gets kind of glorious, it reveals a very hard truth about us. Because if God's got to give us a gift, why do we need a gift? Why does he have to come here? The greatest danger is inside us. It's not outside us. And so Christmas is sort of a, a collision. I was reading somebody this week who called it grace, this gift, this grace. It's, it's kind of violent. It clashes with the reality. This gift clashes with us. It's confrontational because the problem turns out to be inside us and not outside us. I was reading an Advent book this week. He describes sin like this. See if this doesn't describe you. Sin. It's this inescapable, destructive commitment of every person that's ever been born. It marches down a pathway of separation from God and our ultimate doom. None of us successfully avoid it. We see it in others and it bothers us. 
somehow we are blind to it in ourselves. It shapes what we think, desire, say, and do. It shapes our unwritten law for the people we live with and a host of unrealistic expectations for the situations we live in. It explains why we are so often irritated and impatient. It it describes why some of us are perennially unhappy and some of us trudge through life depressed. It causes us to want what we will never, ever have and to demand what we do not and will not ever deserve. It puts us at odds with one another and in endless fights with God. It is the deep disease of our sin nature and the core reason for the birth of Christ. Paul puts it this way. He died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. We were screaming, but what we wanted was selfish. We didn't want the weak, humble gift. God knows we need to be saved from ourselves. That's our greatest threat and our greatest danger. Otherwise, sin is literally undefeatable. So, the only way to save us from ourselves, our own self-glory and our own self-governing, Okay? This is, in other words, you can't tweak anything about your life to fix the deep core issue. There's nothing external you can do. You can't change your family situation. That won't do it. Uh, the social situation, the political situation, certainly not going to do it. Um, financial situation, as is, is, is felt need as that is, it's not going to solve it. And even this one, even this one morally, maybe in 2019, if I'm a better person, that'll solve. That'll help. That won't work either. That's a hard truth. That's a hard truth to face. I have a buddy I sit with. Uh, I have lunch with a couple times a month. And uh, he has some friends he's trying to share the truth of Christ with. And uh, he has a buddy who's really seeking, but he'll try anything. He'll go anywhere and try anything. He's got nothing, no, no specific sort of belief thing that he's looking for. He'll try anything. And he ends up trying uh, he told me this week about uh, some American Indian church somewhere in this area. And they give him this, uh, I, the way he described it, and the way they named it was peyote, but it was somebody, uh, it was something else. But it's, what it turns out to be is a little paste. It's a hallucinogen. And they gave it to him in this church. And when he, did, he said it freaked him out. He said he started to bawl. And nobody understood why he was crying until he came out of it. And his explanation for it was all of a sudden, in a moment, I could see everything in me that was not the way it was supposed to be. And it overwhelmed me. And I'm like, can we pass that out? We need to pass that stuff out because that would change everything. Because this is really hard to see. And I'll tell you, they sent him on his way with no remedy. What does a guy like that do when he, if, if he ever gets around to really seeing himself for the way he ought to see it, how in the world is he going to deal with it? They send him on his way with no remedy. That is, and Isaiah is predicting the remedy. This guy gets sent on his way with no remedy. But here's how the Bible predicts that guy will probably handle his problem. He'll probably go out and he'll find something to feel good about. 
something to make him feel worthy and something to make him feel acceptable. He'll find some righteousness, something he can stand on. And it'll give him the self-glory. It'll be external, and it'll make him feel a little powerful. You know, if you have something over God, well, I have this. God's going to have to love me, accept me, have me. That's what happens when you go find your own righteousness. Uh, but here's the thing about Christmas. Here's the thing you got to hear it. One of these days it's going to shatter your mind when you realize it is you cannot ever, ever make up for your bad. You can't ever make up for it. There's no good you can do, no good things you can string together to change that. Nothing. That's a hard truth. But the Bible predicts every one of us are trying to do it. In other words, you cannot earn a right standing with God. When you come to God, he's going to give you something. He's going to give you something that you cannot earn. Tells you something about Christ, about Christianity, about God. It's not something you earn. You can't have any self-glory. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, that same text, you can't boast about anything. The reason God does it the way he did it, so we're all standing over here and go, ah, I had nothing to do with it. I wasn't smart enough and I wasn't strong enough. God did something I couldn't do. So I can't boast in anything. I can hold nothing over God at all. Every year at Thanksgiving, this is just not long ago, we have our staff will have a big Thanksgiving dinner. There's roughly 30 of us, and we'll put all these tables together. It's one big long table of all of us sitting together. And all the ladies bring something, their best dishes. And so this year we did it, and my wife signed up to bring the, uh, this, this side dish, this uh, sweet potato casserole. It's one of our favorite things that she makes. So um, she bought all the ingredients, but the days leading up to and the day prior to it, uh, were very, very hectic, emotionally, physically, every, in every single way. Now, my wife usually fights through all that. I'm one of the toughest people I know, and, you know, they'll, you know like most women, you, you'll just go till you drop dead, okay? Work hard. And so she's juggling all these things, and we get to the end of the day, and all these ingredients are sitting on the counter, and she goes, I don't think I have the energy to make it. Normally, she'll put on her pajamas and make that thing into the night and have it to take with us to the Thanksgiving deal. And I, you know, I'm always saying, I'm the one, I'm the chill. I'm like, let's just buy something on the way. Who cares? Let's just, that's it. That's me. Well, she goes, I think I'm going to have to do that. I was like, dumbfounded. This never happens. I go, well, let's do it. So that morning we wake up and we head down here, got to our little friendly neighborhood Walmart, the one right here, the little one. And we go inside, and lo and behold, there's about 150 little boxes of sweet potato pie. This is it. Right there, I took a picture. <laughs> okay, and on the cover, they did Patty LaBelle. And there's tons of them. And I go, let's grab two of those babies. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll take them out of that box, and we'll, I'll go grab some whipped cream around the corner, and we'll just fill them with whipped cream and walk them in. We'll set them down and walk away like nothing happened. Nobody will know the difference. So sure enough, we walk them in and set them down. Nobody knows nothing. 
but they looked like desserts. So we set them on the dessert table. Forgetting completely, not even thinking about the fact that every single year we have a dessert contest. So now they're sitting with all the desserts. We're not even thinking about it until the announcement is made that the five guys, five guys are chosen to go taste the desserts. We're not, we, we don't even know where, we don't even connect the fact that these two little pies are sitting there. And I'm going to tell you, we have some ladies in our, on our staff that really care about this. They're bakers, and they can cook. And then one lady is explaining while this is going on that, you know, this is my grandmother's recipe. I've been making it from scratch all day. Uh, I, you know, everything, this whole thing. And, 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 and if you looked at the table, it's, it was the most beautiful thing. Some of them not only looked beautiful, they, they, it was amazing what was on that thing. Okay? I'm not a sweets eater. I was not one of the testers. I didn't even think about it. Well, they go through this thing, and it takes a little while for all of them to do it, you know, and then finally at the very end of this thing, they announce the winner, and it's Gail. (laughs) Oh, yeah, baby. This right here sits proudly on our dresser. And I got to tell you, she's standing there, you know, everybody starts clapping, and Gail stands up, and she's doing all around her, these ladies baked all day long. These things are gorgeous up there. She's holding them like this, smiling, you know, like this was my, you know, 150-year-old grandmother's, you know, recipe. And she looks down at me, and I know. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, pies and lies, pies and lies. That's what I'm thinking. And, uh, and we, didn't, we didn't want to say anything because we wanted to make anybody feel bad. We didn't know what to do. We were in an awkward position. I said, just take it home and set her down. This is, it's coming out on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Listen, that baby was $3.98. I, I could have done this under $5 if I didn't have to buy the whipped cream. That's the guy's honest truth. We can take it home. Now, listen, here's the thing. You know, one of these days. And here's what Paul is trying to say. We all have these that we're so proud of. We have something we're proud of. And Paul is saying, you got to put your trophy down. You can't be proud of anything. You can't boast about anything. There's no goodness in you. You can't overcome it with anything good that you do. doesn't matter. He knows the truth. When he looks at you, he looks right through that thing and he knows all you're really presenting is a cheap pie. That's all you got. And you're going to stand before God one day and you know what he's going to say? Have you ever heard of Patty LaBelle? <laughs> you ever heard of Patty LaBelle? She makes cheap pies. They're really good, but they're cheap. That's what's going to happen. And here's the point. Here's what Christmas means. You finally say, you give up this idea that you have something good in you that God's impressed with. You give up the idea that you're good enough. That's Christmas. And that's why you need a gift. When God says, I'm going to send my son, I'm going to give you my son, there's a reason for that. Look in this. Here's Jeremiah. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. He is our righteousness. So when we stand before him, we can put our trophies down. We just say, he did it. 
It's his righteousness I'm counting on. Nothing about me. The hard truth about Christmas is you've got to put your trophy down. And you've got to accept what he did for you. He provides you with the righteousness. And then, not only does he save us from our sin, but from our self-rule. So here's my final thought. And it's, it's quick. It's government. And we could, of course, spend a lot of time on this, but this government is going to have no end, and it's going to be, he's going to establish justice and righteousness. Can you imagine forevermore? And look at this little phrase right here. This has been my favorite phrase about the whole thing. This is hundreds and hundreds of years before it happened. God says, the zeal, <laughs> Isaiah says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God is so committed to making this happen for the human race because they'll never solve the problem themselves. He's committed to make this happen. And this is the government right here. When I think about this text and the names, this is, this is who God's going to be for us. He's going to be a wonderful counselor because we've been, given, we've been giving each other bad advice. We're seeking the wrong things. He's going to be a mighty God because he's going to have to act on our behalf because we can't do it ourselves. He's going to give us, be an everlasting father, eternal, a father provider for us forever. He's going to be the prince of peace. You know what peace means? Peace is the word for shalom. In Hebrew, it means everything the way it ought to be. Do you know how many times in the course of a day or a week or a month or a year you get the feeling welling up inside of you that you wish things were the way they ought to be? That's what we long for the most. It gives us hope. And here's, the, here's, here's God saying, I'm going to send you my son. He's going to come humbly and weak because the problem is inside you. If you let him forgive you, give up your self-glory and your trophies and let him govern you. Let him lead your life. He can start that now, even though into eternity we'll live this in reality. You can start governing your life now. I just want to read something to you. I got two new books this morning. This is my little Christmas gift to myself. They came in the mail, two I had ordered just a few days ago. And one of them I couldn't wait to pick up and start to read, and I did. And I want to read the first two sentences to you that I read. This is what it says. Life without any power that can secure order or some kind of ultimate justice is frightening and for many an intolerable prospect. If you thought about it, the idea that this would never happen is truly devastating. That there's no one capable of ever providing this Devastating. Then he writes this line, second line. In the absence of such a power, what do you do if you don't have that power? If you can't hope for that? Human events could be finally chaotic. And this is the line. No story could be told that satisfied the need for meaning. In other words, when you picture the end, if you don't see this as the end, justice and righteousness going on forever, everything made right, if that's not what you picture at the end, you ultimately, if we taste that back to you now, can't find any other reason to have ultimate meaning for anything if you don't have that hope. And it comes at Christmas, and not in the way you thought. It's shocking and surprising and 
ultimately sacrificial to God because what he gives is his very best gift. Say, how the zeal of the Lord going to pull this off? God's going to look at you and he's going to give you a gift. And it's not any gift. It's his best gift. It's his son. There's no way to top it. It's the apple of his eye. And you know, you're going to give gifts here soon. And you're going to give them to people you know and love. And there's a reason you give it, whether it's your boss or a friend or a spouse or a kid. You're going to, there's something about the recipient that makes you want to give them a gift. But here's the truth about Christmas. There was nothing about us that made God want to give us this gift. He demonstrated his love toward us while we were sinners and ungodly and unrighteous and holding trophies with cheap pies and works and self-glory. Gave his life. That's why Paul calls it this. Thanks be to God. Say this out loud. For his what? Let's do it again. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's that little, that's that little prophecy in Isaiah. Well, I'll tell you what you got to do then. You say, I'd like to have that gift. What do you got to do to have that gift? Well, I'll tell you. Um, while they're trying to kick me off the stage, I'll tell you. You're going to say to God right now, this is what you're going to say to God. You know, God, I didn't expect that gift. Truth is, it wasn't even the gift I was thinking of. And more than that, Lord, I didn't even know I needed that gift. Now I've learned I didn't even deserve that gift. But I'll take it. But I'll take it. That's how you get Christ in your life. I'll take it. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put my trophies down. And all the things I thought were great about me. And I'll accept you as being my righteousness. And nothing I've done. And not only will I give up that glory for you. Because you gave up glory. I'll let you govern my life. Because who else would I want doing it? Just bow your heads. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this promise. Thank you for your son. Someone in this room, Lord, needs to receive that gift. I pray they do tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.